Thrillist.com by Alyssa Wilkinson, published on March 30, 2016 at 2.17 p.m. I'm a Christian and I hate Christian movies. With God's Not Dead 3, a light and darkness hitting theaters this month, we're re-upping this introspective, relevant report from our archives. It's a frustrating time to love movies and God. As a lifelong evangelical and a Christian film critic, I'm constantly alerted to the next face-based movie. You know, your near-death experience drama, your Kirk Cameron vehicles, your God's Not Dead franchise. See part two in theaters this week. Christian films, in quotations, which for someone who turns to movies for a dose of culture often look like a pile of cheap cash-ins that make me break out in hives. Hollywood's definition of the faith audience, in quotations, boils down to churchgoers, often evangelical Protestants, well enough off to afford a night at the movies, interested in inspirational biblical adaptations and movies about heaven, family, and genial good neighbors, and highly critical of any sexuality or bad language. If you're not devout, you probably miss these movies entirely, but they're a big business in the last three years. Low budget Christian themed films have earned over $444 million at the U.S. box office. A lot of these are basically well-intentioned, kitsch, iniquitous in the manner of a lousy conventional rom-com or an indie drama, but they can be worse than that. I can excuse or ignore a poorly made movie, but some of the most popular faith-based movies today aren't just subpar entertainment, they're anti-Christian. How Jesus Convinced Hollywood to Believe After the Passion of the Christ made more money than anyone dreamed possible, still the highest grossest R-rated film of all time in America, studios frantically tried to corner the faith market by producing movies that entice churches to buy out theaters. There's a long history of sword and sandal flicks before that, plus occasional uh, apocalyptic movies like A Thief in the Night and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association made a number of solid films a few decades ago that were distributed directly to churches. But 2004 signaled something new and producers took notice. A few small movies succeeded with the faith audience after Passion of the Christ Facing the Giants 2006, Fireproof 2008, and Courageous 2011, one of which starred Kirk Cameron, all indie films from the same church back production company. Less explicitly specialized films like the Narnia movies, The Blind Side 2009, The Book of Eli 2010, Of Gods and Men 2010, and Soul Server 2011, attracted sizable crowds of mostly evangelical Christians. Soon, publicity firms found ways to market every conceivable film with a vaguely inspirational hook to pastors and parishioners. From the Avengers, look at these superheroes sacrificing themselves for one another, just like Jesus. To the Monuments Men, look at these soldiers sacrificing themselves for one another, just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Woo! Maybe someone in Hollywood read a twit. 
Maybe someone in Hollywood read a tweet or ate some Ezekiel bread, but all at once a wave of specific faith releases began to crest. She put faith in quotations. The wave crashed in 2014, which saw Son of God February, God's Not Dead and Noah March, Heaven is for Real April, Mom's Not Out May, Persecuted July, The Song and Believe Me September, The Left Behind Remix starring Nicolas Cage October, Saving Christmas November, and Exodus Gods and Kings December. As a Christian film critic, I got calls from reporters all over the place asking whether I could comment on what the year of the Bible film quotations was all about. It was a thing. Those aren't ephemeral num those aren't inf- those aren't ephemeral numbers. In addition to the incredible box office halls of God's Not Dead and Heaven is For Real, several of the films made money, including Mom's Not Out, which grossed $10 million on a $5 million budget, and Left Behind, which grossed $19.7 million on $15 million. Son of God was a recut version of ratings Juggernaut, The Bible, which raked in 10 to 13 million viewers for the History Channel and led to a second series on NBC AD The Bible Continues. And the trend continued in 2015 with Old Fashioned competing with Fifty Shades of Grey on Valentine's Day weekend, Do You Believe March, War Room August, then the unfortunately titled 90 Minutes in Heaven, the thriller Captive September, and football movie Woodlawn October, we're barely a quarter of the way into 2016 and have already weathered the mask, the mask saint, risen the young messiah miracles from heaven. This week we get God's Not Dead to a mistitling opportunity, if there ever was one, if there ever was one, a mistitling opportunity with a Ben-Hur remake and an adaption of the popular novel, same kind of different as me on the way. What an actual what an actual movie-going Christian looks like. Fact, I am the intended audience for these movies. I've been a Christian all my life, attending evangelical churches, singing in the choir, and helping out a vacation Bible school. I was homeschooled for religious reasons and grew up in a rural town. When I moved to Brooklyn, I became a communing member of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Members of my family belong to a smorgasbord of churches all along the eastern seaboard from Southern Baptist to Assemblies of God to Evangelical Free and Roman Catholic. I'm a film critic for Christianity Today, founded by Southern Baptist icon Billy Graham. I hold a full-time faculty appointment at the King's College, a school founded by a radio preacher in 1938. I now teach undergraduates who were raised in churches across America. I am Christian. I also love good movies and watch and write about them for a living. I care that they're good and the deluge of Christian movies brought on a deluge of bad reviews. It's practically catechistic among many faith-based devotees and movie producers that mainstream critics pan the films because they don't believe in Jesus, in quotations. The problems run deeper. Jesus is all right. The screen readers, the screenwriters, not so much. Not so, so much. As onlookers laugh these movies off, I stand in the internet's corner wincing and trying not to rail. I can't just brush it off like others. Christian theology is rich and creative and full of imagination. That's broad enough to take up residence among all kinds of human cultures. It contains within itself the idea that art exists as a good unto itself, not just a, not just a 
utilitarian vehicle for messages. In the Greek, the Bible calls humans poems. I love that. There's no reason Christian movies can't take the time to become good art. Each one that fails leaves me furious. It all came to a head with God's Not Dead, which grossed $60 million on its $2 million budget and essentially launched a faith-based production juggernaut, Pure Flix. It's essentially an adaptation of an internet meme in which an atheist professor loses an argument with a lowly undergraduate about the existence of God. At first, I avoided the movie because I thought it would be another shoddy S-H-O-D-D-Y Christian film, and I've already been inundated. I wanted it to go away. I eventually borrowed a copy of the movie from a fan. I eventually borrowed a copy of the movie from a friend. We all make mistakes. God's Not Dead was a nail in the coffin. God's Not Dead is a technically proficient film that earns its title from both misreading Nietzsche and finding inspiration in Newsboys, a Christian band I listened to in high school who feature heavily in the film. By the end, I was actively offended, not just because it suggests that it's somehow appropriate for a first semester college freshman to engage in a pitched battle with an evil sadistic philosophy professor played by Kevin Sorbo, nor because it takes the theologically weird stance that standing for truth and living your faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, says Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1, means that science, mysterious car engine fixes, and heartfelt anecdotes can prove that God is alive, an inherently unprovable thing. She put alive in quotations. The glaring problem with God's Not Dead, most other films made for and marketed at the faith audience in quotations, is that instead of exercising and challenging the imagination of their audience in ways that would make their audience better Christians, they shut down imagination and whisper sweet nothings into their ears instead. God's Not Dead enlists an army of straw men. The evil atheist professor, the evil atheist professor, who will fail a student for refusing to sign a paper agreeing that God is dead, the evil atheist boyfriend who abandons his girlfriend as soon as she announces her terminal illness, the evil Muslim father who kicks his daughter out of the home for converting, the evil liberal ambush journalist with a bumper sticker on her car that reads, I love evolution, in quotations, then burns, then burns them in effigy. The movie isn't content to merely convert our main antagonist, effectively forcing him to grovel before his 18-year-old student. It also trots in a Doesh Machina, Doesh Ex Machina, and kills him off. Spoiler, sorry! I can look past characters created by writers who have only heard about liberals and secularists on talk radio. But every non-Christian character in the movie and so many others hates God, in quotations, direct quote. They believe or hope the Almighty has kicked the can and do so for deeply personal reasons. They're all secretly miserable, every last one. I believe in the power of representation enough to know that God's not dead insidiously shapes the imagination of the audience, especially if their daily lives don't bring them into contact with people who don't believe the way they do. And that's true for many and not just Christians. Rarely do I ever recognize myself or my family in friends and Christian movie characters. Left Behind, a faith-based film in which virtually all the Christian characters are, re- are weirdly, weirdly, I said it too 
for emphasis, portrayed as nut jobs. Nut jobs, emphasis again, is a great example. And the God-fearing characters in God's Not Dead seem like decent people, even if Ducks Dynasty's Willie and Corey Robertson co-star in a dash of ill-conceived product placement. But I believe we're all in the same strange family of misfits, which is why I get twitchy. I love that she said twitchy with the faith audience in quotations designation. The implications that if you're not in that audience, you're what? The doubt audience? Question mark. The unbelief audience? Another question mark. Pastor Dave, this is a quote from Pure Flix's God's Not Dead. So, your acceptance of this challenge, if you decide the accepted may be the only meaningful exposure to God and Jesus they'll ever have. I think the English is off. If you decide to accept it, not if you decide the accepted. So if you're going to promote, make sure that the grammar is structurally up to par. No, I don't want to fight a hashtag faith war. No, I don't want to fight a faith war. That she hashtag. God's Not Dead encourages its audience to participate in the film's challenge. In quotations. An equivalent to those chain letters that claimed if you didn't forward the email to 10 people, something terrible would happen to you. Many complied. Are you up for the challenge? Access the Facebook page. Text God's Not Dead to 10 friends right now. Then leave a comment below. The image that accompanies the challenge includes this quotation from the movie's cheeriest Christian character, Pastor Dave, the one I already just read to you. I'm not going to text God's not dead to 10 friends right now, especially since nobody, not even Nietzsche or even Lex Luthor, is suggesting his corpse is actually out there somewhere. I don't believe receiving a text message about God's not deadness (laughs) constitutes meaningful exposure to God and Jesus. I have a conversation with a friend over coffee or beer about how faith and doubt go together or answer questions about my church shore. On the other hand, right now, when she said to 10 friends, she put right now capital letters and she did it again. Right now, I might just text a friend and ask how they're doing. Or maybe today I'll just share a picture of a sloth in a fedora. Ultimately, what the increasingly profitable faith, film, and quotations industry machine wants to do is sell me an idea of what taking a stand in quotations for Jesus looks like. That involves buying a ticket, sharing a Facebook meme, going to a concert and texting a bastardization of a late 19th century philosophical proclamation about the bleak condition to which we humans have painted ourselves to 10 people in capital letters right now. It's arguing with your professor and being certain you're right. It's supporting, in quotations, a movie for its message and definitely not criticizing it when it fails to be a good movie. Though, when an atheist makes a respectful but somewhat fanciful film based on a biblical story, look out. There's great Christian entertainment if you look. The part that leaves me angry and why I'm more frustrated with any bad Christian movie that the commercial manipulation of sour blockbusters 
like Batman versus Superman or Jurassic World is that Christians live within a system of belief and practice that is meant primarily to be a blessing to people outside the Christian walls, outside the church walls, outside the Jesus walls. It is a basic article of Christian belief that all people bear God's image. We are to exercise the same boundless imagination and creativity that, that he does. Christians of all people ought to push hard against people who try to sell a fear-mongering, illogical, political-driven version of Christianity where the goal is for your team to win, to prove you're right. Because I'm going to go off the top of my head on this one. You got to be addicted to absolute certainty. And Christians ought to especially value exploration and truth-seeking wherever it's found. We ought to be making fabulous movies that raise religious questions. Who are we? Why are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? What should we do while we're here? And since Christians believe in God's very aliveness, since our theology suggests that people don't save others' souls, God does. And since we don't have anything to lose, we shouldn't think we have to swoop in and answer the question before the credits roll. Christians feel spoofed in the media because they have been. But feeling caricature, but feeling caricatured shouldn't lead to more caricaturing. Instead, we need broader imaginations. In pursuit of better writing, we need more depictions of complicated, interesting Christian characters in our media like the ones we see on the Americans and Jane the Virgin and Rectify and Calvary and Selma. We need media that explores difficult, complicated matters of belief like Midnight Special and The Leftovers. We need serious moves about Christian faith, Last Days in the Desert and The Innocents, both in and route in 2016, are terrific examples. God's Not Dead 2 comes out this Friday and I'll be there. I walk into that theater with all this baggage and, and also with a huge sense of hope. One of these days a film is going to surprise me, but until then I'll still be frustrated. Christian shouldn't mean safe. She put Christian and safe both in quotations. Let me say that again. Christian shouldn't mean safe. Faith-based in quotations shouldn't mean ham-fisted. She put faith-based and ham-fisted in quotations. Again, faith-based shouldn't mean ham-fisted. Audiences shouldn't expect to leave the theater comfortable. Movies should change our lives and expand our imaginations. If it just reinforces our prejudices and lines in the sand, then it's just a feature-length infomercial. And nobody, especially not in America in 2016, needs more of that. Alyssa Wilkinson is critic at large for Christianity Today. Assistant Professor of English and Humanities at the King's College in New York City, usually a pretty sunny cinematic omnivore. Follow her weak slate tweet, TV tweets and exhausted possible updates at, at Alyssa Murray. I have one more to read to you and then I'm going to speak my mind. Christopher Williams, August 21st, 2019, medium.com. Why I hate, he put Christian in capital letters, movies. Why I hate Christian movies. As a film writer and a person of faith, it's reasonable to assume I might have an interest in faith-based films, the ones that blatantly tackle issues of belief in Christianity in America. You know, the types, God's not dead, fireproof. It's forgivable to assume I'd be interested in the same movies many of my friends and family tag at as must-sees on Facebook or organized church movie nights around. 
After all, I'm a Christian who has attended mainly evangelical churches. I have worked at a Christian bookstore and written extensively about my faith in film reviews, newspaper columns, and blog posts. I understand why people assume that because I'm a Christian who loves films, then I must also love Christian movies. But here's the secret. I can't stand the majority of films marketed to faith-based audiences. I hate them. I avoid them. No, I haven't seen Breakthrough, and I likely won't be lining up for Overcomer. I'm tired of brushing off people's questions about whether I've seen these films within I'll have to check it out or hmm sounds interesting and if I love film and want others including my brothers and sisters in the faith to love it as well I want them to eventually see why these films in my in my opinion aren't just bad but insulting and even harmful to Christianity this isn't an issue of me wanting to keep my spiritual and cinematic life separate or of a liberal wanting to do away with any Christian art and thought. On the contrary, some of the most powerful, meaningful films wrestle with faith. Just within the past 10 years, we've seen Silence, Calvary, First Reformed, and Of Gods and Men, which all provoked me to think more deeply about my faith. I believe cinema has great power to deal with matters of faith, and if I believe what C.S. Lewis said, praise being the consummation of an experience, and I want other Christians to experience this power as well. But there's another quote that guides so much my criticism in that I believe also speaks to why this issue is so important for me. It's a quote from philosopher Daniel Dennett who said, there's nothing I like less than a bad argument for something I hold dear. And there's the reason I dislike the majority of quote-unquote Christian movies. My faith is personal, meaningful, and important to me. I believe that Christians should talk about their faith publicly. I believe it's worth sharing with the rest of the world and can be a thing of hope and healing. And I believe that the way the vast majority of these faith-based movies talk about that faith flat-out suck. And I'm going to tell you why. One, artistry matters. It's the number one most obvious question a critic asks. Is it any good? Despite a film subject matter and how much we might have even enjoyed it, when we sit down to write our reviews, we have to ask if it's a thing of quality. How's the script? The acting? The cinematography? Is the director doing the best work possible? You can disagree on many things about a movie, but the one where you'll usually find the most agreement between critics is is in the matter of whether the basic skills of cinema have been met. And with Christian films, that answer is usually no in quotations. This has little to do with budget. I understand that most studios making these movies don't have hundreds of millions of dollars at their disposal. They can't afford big special effects or top-line movie stars. You're not going to get Alex Kendrick, the director of Fireproof, Courageous, and Overcomer, to make Star Wars. It's not about the money. But is it about... But it is about what they do with what they have. But it is about what they do with what they have. Because I've seen many wonderful indie films. In fact, many of the films that have touched and moved me the most have been made on a shoestring budget. My top 10 list for last year included Mining the Gap, 8th Grade, and Sorry to Bother You. None of which were big budget films. They were simply made by people who understood how to make a great movie, whatever their limitations. I've seen many faith-based films. I've seen the original Left Behind, Fireproof, and many other films made through Billy Graham's production company. They look flat. The editing is choppy. The editing is choppy. The acting is stilted. The script is less story and more sermon illustration with a perfect spot for the characters to make a 
climactic altar call. And while I won't knock a film for having no budget for special effects, I will knock a filmmaker for not understanding how to make their constraints work in their favor or for not having the sense to say, hmm, maybe we don't need to make this a special effects story. The thing is, I can bring up cheesy dialogue, bad acting, ham-fisted direction, and ugly cinematography until I'm blue in the face. When I do, my friends who love this movie just respond, yeah, but it has a great message. As if a message we believe in should excuse filmmakers from either doing their best or realizing they're not cut out for this line of work. But we wouldn't use that line of thinking anywhere else in life. If I hire someone to fix my roof and they leave holes in it, I'm not going to hire them again just because they're Christians. I don't care how passionate a chef is about their faith. If you give me food poisoning, I'm not going to recommend you. It's the same thing with the movies. You can be preaching a message I agree with 100%, but this is what he said. But if your movie's crap, that means nothing to me. And as followers of Christ, shouldn't we want our art to be excellent? When God commissioned artists to put together the items for the tabernacle, didn't he want the best of their work? Does doing work just get the message out? In quotations, glorify God. If you're just cranking out movies because you can and they hit a large audience, but you don't love cinema and have no storytelling ability, wouldn't you be able to bring much more honor to God by doing something you're passionate about and gifted in? Also, I get my messages from church. I don't support movies just because they have good intentions. And as we and as we'll see, I don't necessarily think that the messages these films are preaching are ones that I always want to get behind. Ooh. And as and as we'll see, I don't necessarily think that the messages these films are preaching are ones that I always want to get behind. Two, faith is nuanced. There are two typical templates to Christian movie plots. The first is where an unbeliever comes against an obstacle in life that eventually brings them to a place where they ask God to save them and then poof, their problems resolve. The second, where believers are put into a tough situation, usually involving people who challenge their faith. Times get tough, but in the end, the unbelievers are proven wrong. A prayer gives them much needed strength and everything turns out okay in the end. That's great for a sermon illustration. It's not great for a movie. And honestly, it's a pretty dishonest portrayal of Christianity. I realize everyone's conversion story is different, but in my experience, praying a sinner's prayer doesn't ultimately solve my problems, nor is conversion a quick one-point decision. And while I believe in the power of prayer, I very rarely said amen and suddenly had all my problems go away. The life of the faithful is hard. It's a constant wrestling of worldviews and trust. It requires confidence in a bigger story while doubt nips at your heels. Christians believe victory is guaranteed in the next life and there's current spiritual victory in resting in Christ. But just a cursory read of the Bible affirms that life is filled with trial, sickness, danger, and disappointment. I don't see that reflected back in the vast majority of the Christian movies. In short, spiritual life is nuanced. And as Brett McCracken once wrote, Christians are historically horrible with nuance, something you can see in faith-based films. In Facing the Giants, the characters pray that God will grant them a win at the big football game and that the coach's wife will have a safe delivery, but they say they'll still praise God if that doesn't happen. I might be wrong, but Overcomer's trailer hints at a similar plot. Instead of giving them everything they've prayed for, which the film does, wouldn't it be more interesting to see a negative answer to their prayers and more affirming of faith? and more affirming a faith to, to deceive them, still praise and loss? I want films to challenge and provoke my faith and force me to wrestle with it. 
that don't leave me in the same place I was before the opening credits. I enjoyed Darren and Aronofsky's Noah because it took a story that we normally associate with flannel graph and kids' storybooks and engaged it for what it was, a story about dangerous faith, genocide, and near madness. I'm not asking every Christian movie to be high art. I don't think Steve Taylor's adaptation of Blues Like... I don't think Steve Taylor's adaptation of Blue Like Jazz is a great move, but I think it's come closer than any, than any other faith-based film to wrestle with how we're to live among people who don't share our faith. It argues that sometimes needs to... It argues that sometimes need to stop preaching and start listening and confessing. Ooh, it argues that sometimes need to stop preaching and start listening and confessing. But I got to read this again, too. But I think it's come closer than any other faith-based film to wrestling with how we're to live among people who don't share our faith. At its core, it has love and compassion for both its saints and sinners. And it ends on a place not of decision or answers, but of understanding between people who are different and an an admission that we all have a lot to learn. Faith-based movies often don't want you to wrestle with questions and doubt. They want to affirm what you already believe. Perhaps the biggest offender is the God's Not Dead series, which creates a world of liberal atheists out to get Christians. They just won't understand what we believe. The film argues that we have to be brave and fight back because we're right and they're wrong. At the end, the Christians are validated because all the bad guys become Christians or die as punishment for their unbelief. What these films tell you, you're right. You're what these films tell you, you're right. You're doing awesome. Just keep it up. Just keep it up. That's boring. If the purpose of art is to change us, who wants to go to the movies or read a book, listen to a song or see a painting and walk away thinking, well, I guess I'm okay. I don't want to go to a movie and leave the same way I am. I want to go in and be challenged. I don't want to go in and receive answers. I want to come out filled with new questions. The best films about faith have done that to me. Of gods and men made me think about what it really means to love my enemies. Babbitt's Feast is one of the most beautiful and enlightening meditations on grace I've ever seen. Even Jesus Christ Superstar presented a view of Christ I'd never seen. It made me think anew about how we often try to distort him into our own image. Rewind. Even Jesus Christ Superstar presented a view of Christ I'd never seen. It made me think anew about how we often try to distort him into our own image. But worse than that, it's isolating. Christianity, its followers believe, isn't about seclusion. It's about going into the world and loving others, befriending them and serving them. And yet, these films feed the mentality that causes us to further retreat into our Christian ghettos and believe that those who don't share our faith are our enemies. Rewind that! And yet, these films feed the mentality that causes us to further retreat into our Christian ghettos and believe that those who don't share our faith are are our enemies. It doesn't foster compassion, dialogue, or understanding, but elevates our thinking and beliefs above other people, turning it not into a dialogue but into an argument. The result, we retreat further. Rewind that. It doesn't foster compassion, dialogue, or understanding, but elevates our thinking and beliefs about other people, turning it not into a dialogue but into an argument. The result, we retreat further. We watch movies that tell us we're doing great and the non-believers are wrong, and we don't pay attention to anything that might change us or put us in a position to engage with others about matters of the soul. 
it doesn't sound very Christian to me. And there's a reason for that, because three, there's no such thing as a Christian movie. Derek Webb once said it best. The word Christian, when applied to anything other than a person, is nothing more than a marketing term. There's no such thing as Christian music, movies or literature. Those things are nothing more than works that meet a certain retail criteria. They mention Jesus had no swearing or so or sexual content and usually includes a moral lesson. They are packaged and sold to consumers who want the alternative to secular entertainment. I guess I can understand if these films were sold as family-friendly entertainment or offense-free, I might not be writing this. But the term Christian when used this way is very problematic because it omits so much. For one thing, these movies don't represent all of modern-day Christianity and instead endorse the values of mainstream American evangelicalism, and I don't have to explain why that might be problematic today. They argue for a six-day creation, no evolution. They often have a strong conservative political bent. God's Not Dead introduces its atheist blogger character, not by dwelling on her unbelief, but by focusing on a car festooned with bumper stickers touting liberal politics and and veganism. By and large, the actors in the film are white middle-class residents struggling with fights in their marriage, bullied because of their faith or wanting God to bring them health slash success. That leaves out quite a bit. For movies that say this is Christianity, I have to admit, I feel left out. Where are the Christian films about theistic evolution? Where are movies about progressive Christians? What about films tackling with real depth the uglier sides of life? Depth. D-E-P-T-H. What about films tackling with real depth the uglier sides of uglier sides of life? Why can I see a more accurate portrayal of a church family in Why can I see a more accurate portrayal of a church family in Junebug or Lars and the Real Girl than Courageous? There's no such thing as a Christian movie. These are targeted at Christian audiences who readily eat it up because they're clean. There's no foul language, no violence, no sexuality. It's clean. Better yet, it's safe. But Christian... Ooh, there's no foul language, no violence, no sexuality. It's clean. Better yet, it's safe. But Christianity isn't safe and neither is art. Christians live in a world that they believe is fallen. And if our art is to be true, it must reflect that. If we believe that... Christianity is holistic and that our faith has relevance for every portion of our lives. Why do we run from art that illustrates that? Why can't Christian films deal with the very real doubt that lives alongside faith? Why can't Christian filmmakers deal with the darker and more negative aspects of the church? Why don't more artists approach questions of mourning, doubt, and the silence of God? What about films where Christians realize that atheists, Muslims and people of other beliefs can be good friends worth engaging in civil conversation. And I say conversation like that as I'm thankful that he wrote that question. But that question is also an assertive statement. Food for thought. Where are our Christian films that deal with sex from an honest biblical basis? I love film. I love my faith more. I want art that reflects my beliefs, and I do find it just in the most unlikeliest of places. I learned that it's okay to laugh at the flaws of religious folk from Life of Brian. I found more power in this in the Shawshank redemption story of hope than any sermon on the subject. Ooh, 
I learned more about relationships and marriage through Richard Linklater's Linklater's before service in any than in any church. Wow, and I saw the importance of living a life devoted to others more clearly in films like Akiru than in any Sunday school illustration. For whatever its problems and possible heresies, I understood the deity of Christ and the tension between that and humanity far better after seeing The Last Temptation of Christ than I did from reading any theological treatise. My faith is challenged by the movies, often the ones the Sunday school crowd shies away from. I like to I'd like to those Christians learn to love more challenging films. I like to see their eyes open to what cinema can do for the soul. And I'd like them to pick up cameras and try their hand at making something beautiful, profound, and soul-stirring. So until that happens, I'll be staying away from the films that give me a shallow look at faith. I want something that burrows into my soul. Here are my thoughts on everything that he read now everything that I read and everything that he said and everything that Alyssa said too and I'm going to make this very simple and plain I do not like faith based movies I do not like Christian movies because they make prostitutes look like these shit piles that need to be washed up because they're dirty because of their prostitution. I think that's fucked up, and here's why. Prostitutes are loving, are kind, they have aspirations to make life better, to make the world better, to make the universe better. And they have empathy for themselves and for others. And yes, I used to wear prostitute not to be offensive, but every time there was a sex work in a Christian movie I've ever seen, it was always the disgraceful, um, run-down prostitute who gets rescued from Christian people and now she's actually a woman because she left by prostitution. Here's what I think about that. Sex workers are beautiful inside and out because they're people. Sex workers are of substance, are of integrity, are of excellent inner character so I do not watch Christian films because based on my research of sex workers based on me reading porn star interviews in my spare time I mean to be honest there are I've read porn star interviews where I was constantly grabbing my Webster's dictionary and thesaurus encyclopedia because I love that they have a natural large vocabulary. A lot of them have gone to college. A lot of them have done well 
with having a master's, a PhD. Some have gone to nursing. Some have certifications. They have completions of accredited uh, training programs. Some paid, some unpaid, some volunteers, some are interns. Some of them are entrepreneurial. Some of them are social entrepreneurs. Some of them are actually servant leaders. Most of them are. Um, Most of them are servant leaders. And most of them are community organizing in their own philanthropic ways. So I know people are saying, so are you saying that you love prostitutes? Hell yes. Are prostitutes family and friends to you? Hell yes. So are all, so so are sex workers loved by you? Hell yes. Are sex workers your family and friends? Hell yes. Can't shame me for these things because I am that secure within who I am in my true identity. And so Layperson's terms, sex workers are fantastic as human beings, and their profession does not stain their being fantastic human beings. They have marvelous minds, marvelous hearts, marvelous souls, and their bodies are art whether they stay in the profession or leave the profession. Either way, their bodies are art. Next, let's go to atheists. I've met atheists. The majority of atheists I've met are upstanding, outstanding in heart, in mind, and soul. Most of the atheists I've met, I'll say every atheist I've met actually that I've known as atheists, their bodies are art too. In fact, sex workers and secularists, both types of people that were featured in these articles, both the types of people that I have gotten to know, whether it's through research or in person, in my case, both when it comes to both. Sex workers and secularists. Are art in soul and art in body too. Art meaning wisdom and truth. Facts, evidence, knowledge. That's what I mean by art. And the both people are into sex secularists and sex workers. They're both into servant leadership. They both are into social entrepreneurship and they're both into being humane. Being humane with other people's bodies and being humane with other people's souls, being humane with their own bodies and their own souls. And making sure that other people are humane to their bodies and their souls. And they inspire others to do the same with other people too. 
sec- secularists are loved by me. I'm a secularist. I said that to really make you think. I'm a secularist, so other secularists are loved by me. Even if I wasn't a secularist, secularists are loved by me. Even if I wasn't a secularist, sex workers are loved by me. When I say loved, that means compassionately, unconditionally, sacrificially, altruistically, family-wise, and friendship-wise. Hospitable love. And how come they... Okay, this is my way of ending this episode. How come faith-based films don't tackle abuse of authority, abuse of discretion, abuse of dominance, abuse of indulgences, abuse of information, abuse of power, abuse of process, abuse of rank, abuse of statistics, abuse of the system, abuse of trust, abuse of supervision, academic abuse, ad hominem abuse, adolescent abuse, adult abuse, alcohol use disorder, abuse of corpse, um, alcohol use disorder, animal abuse, antisocial behavior, bullying, character assassination, child abuse, parental abuse of children, child sexual abuse, child-on-child sexual abuse, church abuse, civil rights abuse, clandestine abuse, clerical abuse, cyber abuse or cyberbullying, dating abuse or dating violence, defamation, detainee abuse, disability abuse, discriminatory abuse, doctor abuse, domestic abuse or domestic violence, drug abuse, economic abuse, elder abuse, emotional abuse, employee abuse, false accusations, financial abuse, flag abuse, gaming the system, gaslighting, gay abuse or gay bashing, group psychological abuse, harassment, hate crimes, hazing, human rights abuse, humiliation, incivility, institutional abuse, insult, intimidation, legal abuse, lesbian abuse, malpractice, market abuse, material abuse, medical abuse, mental abuse, military abuse, mind abuse and mind control, misconduct, mobbing, narcissistic abuse, neglect, negligence, nurse abuse or nursing abuse, online abuse, parental abuse by children, passive-aggressive behavior, patient abuse, peer abuse, persecution, secular persecution, personal abuse or personal attacks, physical abuse, Persecution of other faiths, other spiritualities, other religions, torture, police abuse, political abuse, prejudice, prison abuse or prisoner abuse, professional abuse, psychological abuse, racial abuse, racking, rape, relational aggression, religious abuse, resident abuse, religious trauma syndrome, Rudeness, satanic ritual abuses, school bullying, sectarian abuse, self-abuse, sexual abuse, sexual bullying, sibling abuse, smear campaigns, societal abuse, spiritual abuse, spousal abuse, stalking, structural abuse, substance use disorder, surveillance abuse, taunting, teacher abuse, teasing, telephone abuse, terrorism, transgender abuse or trans bashing, umpire abuse, Verbal abuse or verbal attacks, whispering campaigns, workplace abuse or workplace bullying, characteristics and styles of abuse, telltale signs of abuse, abuse of power control, effects of abuse on victims, psychological characteristics of abusers, 
victimization, victim playing, victim blaming, traumatic bonding, rationalization, psychopathy, psychological trauma, psychological projection, narcissism, minimization, manipulation, lying, just world, hypothesis, isolation, exaggeration, destabilization, denial, dehumanization, I'll say demonization. Complex post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic stress Child grooming, abusive power control, abusive power. Police brutality, proxy abuse. Cruelty to animals. Child neglect, child sexual abuse, child children in the military, child marriage, child abuse again, bullying, antisocial behavior, gaslighting again. Structural abuse, psychological abuse, professional abuse and intimidation, institutional abuse. How come faith-based films don't lovingly confront and tackle all of these things? And how come... I've seen abuse victims in Christian films and often... Their despondency is emphasized, but their solid hearts are minimized. All, you know, betraying abuse victims is they're always the damsels in distress. I'm offended by it, especially as an abuse victim myself. Even if I wasn't one, I would still be just as offended. And makes it seem like if you just accept Christ... The abuse is forever gone, including the effects of it. And that is a crock of shit. That's horse shit. That's bullshit. That's dog shit. I believe that... I not believe. I know that... To know people is to ultimately love people. To know people who are diverse than we are is to ultimately love people that are diverse than we are. Difference does not absolve loving and knowing. In fact, difference really means loving and knowing. So just because someone doesn't think like us or you or doesn't live like us or you, there's a difference between loving disagreement and pure evil. There's a difference between a moderate a conservative and liberal lovingly disagreeing with each other and advocating for the Holocaust of people that don't fit a diabolical racial dominance. 
And I think that that same loving disagreement can happen to people when it comes to religion and views of religion. You can have a secularist and a faith-based person lovingly disagree. But they can still be morally excellent human beings. That's completely different than being a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And so this is my very last episode dealing with religion for a while. It was, it was, it was supposed it was gonna be the other one, but I had to get this all out. Basically, I talk about how as an autistic person that people have said I am, I don't use that label. I'm just saying that society labeled me, as you all know. I wonder how come faith-based movies don't address the issue of most churches not being autism-friendly. Most churches are autism-unfriendly. If you don't believe me, just type in you know, autism-friendly churches and you will see autistic Christians who are pleading for this to happen. Most churches are survivor-unfriendly churches. How come faith-based movies don't tackle the issue of churches not being survivor-friendly? Get to know people for yourself. That's how you ultimately love people for yourself. That's how you can help others know others for themselves and help others love others for themselves. You can't have knowledge without love, can't have love without knowledge. In this case, to know a person means doing your homework, making sure that all of your interpretations of any holy book don't exclude all the good people of all walks of life, whether they share your faith or not whether they're sharing your secularism or not, whether they're sharing your political views or not. There's a difference between that and folks being celebratory of human rights slash human hate crimes. There's a difference. So I want to say this for the very last time. I am for the human rights, the civil rights, the political rights, the economic rights, social rights, and the cultural rights of all religious people, all faith-based people, and all spirituality-based people. And I am honored that I have faith-based people that I have close relationships with, family-wise, friendship-wise, in my personal life. And I am proud to have Christian colleagues. I am proud to have faith-based colleagues. I I welcome and embrace people of all faiths, all religions, and all spiritualities in my personal life and my professional life. I am kind to them all the time, and they're kind to me all the time. 
we're always nice to each other. And so I'm so grateful that I got to have all my doubts out. This has truly healed me, truly freed me. I said everything I was supposed to say. I explored all my doubts before the world. I even blessed your lives. And I say bless, I mean that non-religiously. And so I want to say that in closing words, I'm a rationalist. I'm a secularist. I'm an agnostic theist. I'm a secular Jesus follower. If I had to pick between agnostic and atheist, I'm agnostic. Uh, I'm, I'm a five in terms of whether God is real or not. That's what my agnosticism means. I'm also a soft agnostic. It means that I am open to supernaturality and preternaturality being real. Do I know? I don't know. Maybe people have better understandings of God than I. That's possible. I, I'm just, I'm on the fence with that one. I'm not sure. Um, I'm a free thinker. Um, I'm free living. I am free loving. I am free spirited. Um, I'm non-religious. I'm secular. Um, I am... I'm pro-reason, I'm pro-logic, I'm pro-evolution. I'm a humanist, I'm a secular humanist, I'm a secular progressive, I'm a secular liberal, I'm a secular leftist, I'm a member of the secular left. I love the religious left, the spiritual left, liberal religion, progressive religion, religious leftivism, and religious liberalism, religious progressivism, I think they're all great. Um, You know... And I am the kind of person, I do love progressive and liberal Christianity, I'm not going to lie. Basically, I'm also, you know, I'm irreligious, but I'm not disrespectful of religion. Faith, spirituality, I'm not disrespectful of any of those things. But I do want to really wrap this up before I go. I am characterized by a willingness to question tradition, acceptance of human diversity, a strong emphasis on social justice and care for the poor and the oppressed, environmental stewardship of the earth. I have a deep knowledge in the centrality of the instruction to love one another because I focus on promoting values such as compassion, justice, mercy, and tolerance. And I'm, and I'm thankful that political activism is a way to do that. So, I'm thankful that I got to say all these things. I really am. I really think that it's pretty awesome that I got to make these statements because I am pro-evidence, I am pro-proof, I am pro-facts, I am pro-truth, I love, I am pro-science, and 
I am pro-enlightenment wherever it comes from. I am pro-enlightenment of all positive people, of all walks of life, filled with all types of positive people. That's what enlightenment means to me. I practice universal Christ consciousness. I'm a Christ consciousness person. I love new thought. I love new age. And uh, I'm a sacred activist. And I, I do radical inclusion, radical hospitality, radical belonging. I am a culture creative. And I'm an alchemist. I'm a divine alchemist. And so I just want to say, I did the goddamn thing. And I'm motherfucking happy about that shit.